Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be more. You know there will be more stories about the crypto winter coming up in this program. But this one's got to be the lead. An investigation by the Guardian newspaper of Australia. Yeah, they got one there too. Reveal thousands of people have lost millions of dollars to the Hyperverse Crypto Scheme, which was promoted by the Australian entrepreneur Sam Lee and his business partner Ryan Zhu, two of the founders of the collapsed Australian Bitcoin company Blockchain Global. Global. <laughs> not Goble. He He's not with us anymore. Blockchain Global owes creditors $58 million. Its liquidator has referred both of the founders, Xu and Lee, to the Australian Securities Commission for alleged possible breaches of the Corporations Act. <laughs> but the uh, commission doesn't intend to take action at this time. What about now? The Hyperverse Investment Scheme is among those that have appeared to escape scrutiny in Australia despite being flagged by regulators overseas by one as a possible scam and another as a suspected pyramid scheme. And those are good recommendations. Lee has denied Hyperverse was a scam and disputes being its founder. Aside from that, Guardian Australia has not been able to contact Zoo for comment. A man named Stephen Reese Lewis becomes another interesting part of this story. He was introduced as the chief executive officer of Hyperverse at an online global launch event December 2021. Why, that's only two years ago. The event featured video messages of support from a bunch of celebrities released on Twitter the following month. The celebrities weren't released. The messages of support were. The celebrities included the Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and actor Chuck Norris. I said actor Chuck Norris. Promotional material released for Hyperverse, which was linked to a previous scheme called Hyperfund said Reese Lewis was a graduate of the University of Leeds and held a master's degree from the University of Cambridge. A brief career summary of Reese Lewis in a video launch for potential investors said he had worked for Goldman Sachs, sold a web development company to Adobe, and launched an IT startup firm before being recruited to head up Hyperverse by the Hypertech Group. This was the umbrella organization for a range of hyper-branded crypto schemes. Can't spell hyper without hype. Lee spoke at the launch event as chairman of the Hypertech Group. Zhu was introduced as the group's founder. The company praised Reese Lewis's strong performance and drive, citing his credentials as the reason for his recruitment. Guardian Australia, the newspaper has confirmed that neither the University of Leeds nor the University of Cambridge has any record of someone by the name of Stephen Reese Lewis, Lewis on their databases. No records exist of Stephen Reese Lewis 
on the U.S. sorry the U.K. Companies Register Companies House or at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Adobe, a publicly listed company since... Tom? A publicly listed company. There we go. Since 1986, has no record of any acquisition of a company owned by a Stephen Reese Lewis in any of its filings with the SEC. Goldman Sachs could find no record of Reese Lewis having worked for them. The Guardian unable to find a LinkedIn profile for Reese Lewis or any internet presence other than the promotional material for Hyperverse. A Twitter account in Reese Lewis's name was set up a month before he appeared in the video launch of Hyperverse, and it was used to promote the scheme on the, cla- the platform for just six months before the account became inactive. But wait, there's more. Hyperverse was promoted at the launch event as a new digital metaverse that would rival Facebook, where members could explore, quote, the new frontier of a galactic universe and bring to life a complete virtual world, unquote. In the video, Reese Lewis encouraged people to become early supporters of Hyperverse, saying the company would, quote, create a parallel system of existence that will change how people live, how we interact with people around the world, and even how companies and corporations will conduct business. This metaverse race has just started, so I do strongly urge everyone to join us as an early backer and supporter of the foray into the metaverse era. In fact, I believe we've done all the research needed, and we are poised to launch something that can truly shine in the years to come." Reese Lewis. Investors in Hyperverse were able to buy memberships with minimum returns of 0.5% a day with a 300% return over 600 days. Incentives, of course, were also offered for recruiting new members. The launch video included a five-minute presentation from a Hyperverse compliance officer on the terms and conditions of becoming a member, saying it was a globally compliant company. It did warn there was a risk of loss for those involved. A report from the U.S. blockchain analysts Chainalysis estimates consumer losses to Hyperverse a couple of years ago amounted to $1.2 billion. That's all. Following the online launch, the company released video message of support from celebrities including Wozniak, Norris, comedian Jim Norton, well, at least he didn't host the uh, Golden Globes, and boy bang, boy band singer Lance Bass. It's unclear how these messages of support were obtained. All four celebrities are available to hire through the website Cameo, where people can pay high-profile individuals to read out a message for money. George Santos is available there too, but he has nothing to do with this, except he wished me a happy birthday. The Norris shout-out to Hyperverse states that under the leadership of CEO Stephen, Hyperverse will be the leader of Metaverse space. Wozniak said, I'm here to support Stephen and Hyperverse. I can't wait for the Hyperverse, he added. 
The video messages of support were released a couple of years ago as Hyperverse was ramping up its global recruitment drive. The Guardian contacted Wozniak, Norris, Norton, and Bass for comment, but received no reply. There's no suggestion they had any knowledge of Hyperverse's business model when filming the messages of support. They make no reference to money or investments. Some Hyperverse members said they faced problems with drawing funds from the scheme in the first half of 2022. Members said they were then encouraged to migrate to a new platform called Hypernation, a launch event for that thing in May 2022, featured masked promoters called Mr. H and Miss N. Reese Lewis did not feature and was not referred to in that video. In the presentation, Mr. H talked about the failure of neoliberalism and said Hypernation would use new technologies to provide citizens of Hypernation with a universal basic income. Quote, I thought I was destined to live a meaningless life, but not anymore, he said. As a citizen in Hypernation, I feel liberated and free. I can have full autonomy over my finances with the help of decentralized finance. And best of all, my self-worth is no longer determined by anyone else. Unquote. Mr. H. Lee and Zhu did not feature in the Hypernation launch video and were not mentioned. In a subsequent Zoom meeting with Hypernation members, a senior promoter of both Hyperverse and Hypernation was asked how Hypernation was associated with the original Hypertech schemes. The promoter said the company was, quote, one big entity. It is one big entity where we got Hyperverse and Hypernation, which is a new entity within the same setup, he said in a Zoom meeting a couple of years ago about the launch of Hypernation, unquote. Are you excited yet? The uh, newspaper added there's no real evidence that the chief executive of the one big entity, Mr. Reese Lewis, does even, even, there's no evidence that he exists. Hello, welcome to Liz Show. Your day breaks, your mind aches, you find that all her words of kindness linger on when she no longer needs you. She wakes up, she makes up, she takes her time and doesn't feel she has to hurry, she no longer needs you. And in her eyes you see nothing, no sign of love behind the tears cried for no one, a love that should have lasted years. You stay home, she goes out. She says that long ago she knew someone, but now he's gone, she doesn't need him. Your day breaks, your mind aches. There will be times when all the things she said will fill your head, you won't forget her. And in her eyes you see nothing, no sign of love behind the tears, cried for no one. A love that should have lasted years. From 
Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now... <laughs> I'm not going to let you do this on this. All right. <clears throat> Anderson Cooper recovering from New Year's Eve, ladies and gentlemen. It's taking a while. It's really so stupid. No, it's okay. He'll be back reporting the news very, very soon. One of our most trusted newsmen, ladies and gentlemen. He gets a little loose on New Year's Eve. And, uh, Anderson, down, down. Just gotta let it out. No, no, I know, but just lower the range, babe. All right, we'll get back to him in a little bit. But now, it's time for news of the godly. I'm not saying Anderson isn't godly, but these people are even more godly. Until a Wisconsin judge suspended charges against defrocked Roman Catholic Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. He accused of sexually assaulting a boy in the 1970s. It's the most painful place to be assaulted. The judge ruled Wednesday the former cleric is incompetent for trial because of dementia. It's all you have to do to get off is lose your mind. The decision will be reviewed at the end of the year, according to court records. McCarrick, who didn't appear in person for the hearing, but listened in by phone, he's competent to, do the, to use the phone, apparently, was charged with sexually assaulting an 18-year-old fellow more than 45 years ago, court records show. A criminal complaint alleges he fondled the man in 1977 while staying at a cabin on Lake Geneva in southeastern Wisconsin. The alleged victim, who was not named, told investigators that McCarrick had repeatedly assaulted him since he was 11 and even brought him to parties where other adult men abused him, according to the, plaint, the complaint. Well, he shared. Come on. McCarrick's Wisconsin attorney did not immediately request to an email request for comment or for getting in line for the sharing. The program director of Nate's Mission, a Wisconsin-based project of ending clergy abuse, issued a statement saying the charge would bring McCarrick to some kind of justice for a victim to see his offender before a judge even if their appearance is by phone, it can be a day of emancipation and liberation from carrying the awful burden of shame and secrecy that are an inevitable consequence of these crimes, unquote. McCarrick was removed from the priesthood in 2019 after a Vatican investigation found he had sexually molested adults and children. It's fair. He became the highest-ranking Catholic official in the United States to face criminal charges for sexual abuse when he was accused three years ago of assaulting a teenage boy at a wedding reception in Massachusetts in 1974. His, his attorneys asked the judge earlier this year to dismiss, dismiss the charges in that case, saying McCarrick, now 92 and suffering from dementia, was not competent to stand trial. 
The once powerful priest was ordained in 1958 and became Archbishop in Newark in 1986 and then Archbishop of Washington, D.C. in 2000, rising to power despite church officials' knowledge of accusations against him. A two-year Vatican investigation into his tenure found credible reports of his problematic behavior dating back to 1999, including an inquiry confirming that he slept with seminarians. Well, they're quiet sleepers. The, ch uh, the church has confirmed it made financial settlements with adults who accused McCarrick of sexual misconduct. The cardinal retired from the priesthood, that is, in 2006, but continued to be active in political circles until he was defrocked by Pope Francis in 2019. Wisconsin prosecutors learned of the alleged 1977 assault through a program dedicated to pr prosecuting instances of abuse by faith leaders, they said at the time, at the time that McCarrick was charged. Officials were able to charge him because the statute of limitations does not apply to people who are not residents of the state. A similar law allowed Massachusetts prosecutors to bring their case against McCarrick more than 40 years later. And a Catholic priest in Missouri, Missouri, was found guilty by the church of soliciting sex from an adult while hearing a confession. Father Ignacio Medina, a priest with the Diocese of Jefferson City, was deemed guilty by decree by the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith in Rome. By decree. No trial, babe. You've been decreed. He was permanently deprived from holding any church office and hearing confessions from parishioners, effective immediately. He was also barred from celebrating Mass to the public, unless his bishop grants him permission, which will only happen in extraordinary circumstances. Medina, who was the pastor of Our Lady of the Lake Parish in Lake Ozark, did not appeal the charge. An investigation into Medina was launched by a bishop in Jefferson City after a report was filed through the diocese's abuse hotline a couple of years ago. Quote, I want to be clear that sexual solicitation during confession is a sacrilege, a crime in our church, and a grave form of abuse. It cannot be tolerated, said the bishop. With God's help, he added, we must work to continue the, to eradicate abuse from all corners of our church. The church has corners, we now learn, while adging, urging people to pray for all who are left in pain and confusion when a trusted leader abuses their position of sacred trust and power for sinful purposes, unquote the bishop. He said he met with Medina to express my concerns and informed him he will not be allowed to celebrate or con-celebrate Mass publicly. Unquote the bishop, Medina remains a priest of the Diocese of Jefferson City and continues to receive support as a retired priest. That'll keep him from getting dementia. News of the Godly. Trump social audio, and I'm your favorite indicted ex-president. And for everybody who doubts the deep state conspiracy against yours truly, here's more proof. Just before the Iowa caucuses, a very unusual cold snap 
covers the Hawkeye State. Very unusual, very cold. Of course, it could just be a coincidence. But since when were we born yesterday? I clearly recall when I was president seeing documents about our ability to use bad weather for military purposes. I even had them for a while. I wonder where they went. And now, here we are. Sound familiar? Sure it should. Staying home means the deep state wins. If you ask me, I'd say it's time to get cold for me. Very cold. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. No more to say, really. More, more to say. Communities along the coast of northern Spain fear an environmental disaster. Millions of tiny plastic pellets are washing ashore after falling from a ship. According to the BBC, more than 1,000 sacks of the pellets. You know what they're called, right? Nurdles. That's it. That's the name of the microplastic pellets. Nurdles are believed to have fallen from the Tukonau. Tukonau, operated by the Danish company Maersk. Back in early September, uh, December, hundreds of volunteers have been working to clean up the spill in the northwest Galicia region of Spain. The alarm has also been raised on the Asturias coast further east. As many as six containers are believed to have fallen from the Liberian-flagged Coconao, some 50 miles west of Viana do Castelo in northern Portugal. Of these, one contained at least 57,300 pounds of pellets, or nurdles, while the others were carrying goods such as cling film tires and tomato sauce. Sounds like dinner. Dozens of coastal communities have seen a white tide of pellets gradually washing up ashore since mid-December. The worst affected areas are around the Galician port town of Noia, and fishermen further south in Vigo have been looking out for sacks of pellets floating in the Atlantic for free, although recent heavy seas have made that task harder. Public prosecutors have opened an investigation. There are fears the spill could soon spread further east along the northern coast towards the Basque country. That'll start trouble. In a statement, Maersk spokesman Rainier Horn said the shipping company regretted the incident and would investigate the tiny plastic balls, nurdles, used to manufacture common goods such as plastic bottles, are less than two-tenths of an inch wide, making cleaning up extremely difficult. Volunteers have been combing through sand and sieving water to find the plastic pellets. Oh, I'm just sieving. The average liter of bottled water has nearly a quarter million invisible pieces of ever-so-tiny nanoplastics detected, detected and categorized for the first time by a microscope using dual lasers. No, it's not a dual, but... 
Scientists long figured there were lots of these microscopic plastic pieces, but until researchers at Columbia and Rutgers universities did their calculations, they never knew how many or what kind. Looking at five samples each of three common bottled water brands, researchers found particle levels ranged from 110,000 to 400,000 per liter, averaging an estimated 240,000 according to a study in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. What, they wouldn't know? These are particles that are less than a micron in size. There are 25,000 microns, also called micrometers, in an inch. A human hair is about 83 microns wide. No, there's no hair in the water bottles. Previous studies have looked at slightly bigger microplastics that range from the visible 5 millimeters, less than a quarter of an inch, to 1 micron. About 10 to 100 times more nanoplastics than microplastics were discovered in bottled water. Much of the plastic seems to be coming from the bottle itself. And the reverse osmosis membrane filter used to keep out other contaminants according to the study's lead author. She wouldn't reveal the three brands because researchers want more samples before they single out a brand and want to study more brands. Still, she said they were common and bought at a Walmart. Well, there's your uh, clue right there. Don't buy water at Walmart. Researchers still can't answer the big question, are those nanoplastic pieces harmful to health? Quote, that's currently under review. We don't know if it's dangerous or how dangerous, unquote, study co-author Phoebe Stapleton, a toxicologist at Rutgers. We do know they are getting into the tissues of mammals, including people, and the current research is looking at what they're doing in the cells, unquote. Oh, nothing. Do, 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 do. The International <laughs> Bottled Water Association said in a statement, Quote, there's currently both a lack of standardized measuring methods and no scientific consensus on the potential health impacts of nano and microplastic particles. Therefore, media reports about these particles in drinking water do nothing more than unnecessarily scare consumers. Unquote. All four co-authors of the study said they were cutting back on their bottled water use after they conducted it. Wei Min a Columbia physical chemist who pioneered the dual laser microscope technology says he's reduced his bottled water use by half. Another of the researchers said she now relies more on filtered water at home in New Jersey. But study co-author Bejan Yan, a Columbia environmental chemist who increased his tap water usage, pointed out that filters themselves can be a problem by introducing plastics. Said Stapleton, quote, there's just no win, unquote. All day I face the barren waste without the taste of water, cool water. Old Dan and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. Cool 
shadows sway and seem to say Tonight we pray for water Cool water And way up there he'll hear our prayer And show us where there's water Man, don't you listen to him, Dan? He's the devil, not a man, and he spreads the burning sand with water. Dan, can you see that big green tree where the water's running free and it's waiting there for you and me? From Santa Monica, this is Liz Show. <laughs> don't squeeze it again. And now, ladies and gentlemen, more about this crypto winter we're going through together. Coins Paid, it's the name of a firm, suffered a second hack, second hack in six months. The digital assets payment company was exploited for around $7.5 million worth of cryptocurrencies a couple of days ago. Blockchain security firm Cyvers attributed the security breach to the platform's inadequate wallet access control measures. Well, of course. Hackers managed to uh, get away with various cryptocurrencies, including $4.5 million in U.S. dollar something, something that represents U.S. dollars but isn't, and $97 million in CPD, whatever that is. These are all different currencies, different from actual. The perpetrators converted the stolen assets into Ether, and transferred them, not the kind you breathe, and transferred them to externally owned accounts on both the Ethereum and BNB chains. They also funneled the funds into several centralized exchanges. The identity of the attackers remains unknown. Cybers suspects it might be the notorious Lazarus Group. More about that in a moment. The root cause of the incident is inadequate wallet access control. I would have said that myself. Oh, I just did, actually. Notably, the exchange had previously been alerted to potential vulnerabilities last July by Cybers when the coins paid system and Alphapo suffered a $100 million theft linked to the North Korean Lazarus Group. Analysts told BeInCrypto.com Regrettably, this is not CoinsPaid's first encounter with security breaches. The North Korea-backed hackers Lazarus Group previously targeted CoinsPaid last July. At the time, the platform lost about $37 million and reported the incident to law enforcement agencies. Lazarus Group is a well-known entity. Never heard of them. Responsible for the hacks of multiple crypto platforms like Ronin Bridge... Harmony Bridge, 
and my favorite, Atomic Wallet. These attacks resulted in the cumulative losses of hundreds of millions in cryptocurrencies. But wait, that's just the tip of the iceberg this year. In the early days of 2024, the cryptocurrency industry, oh, it's an industry now, is it? Faced several security challenges witnessing prominent projects falling victim to hacks and exploits. Orbit Chain, a decentralized cross-chain protocol, suffered a staggering loss of over $81 billion, resulting from hackers accessing seven of its ten multi-sig signers. Following closely, Radiant Capital lost $4.5 million due to a smart contract breach on the 3rd of January. The situation persisted as Gamma fell prey to exploiters who conducted a price manipulation attack. That was a $4 million loss. These incidents collectively accounted for nearly $100 million in losses for crypto projects just within the first week of this year. And a cryptocurrency project called Narwhal appears to have rug-pulled, claiming they were hacked. In a post on their Twitter account, they claimed that a hacker attack caused significant losses to their community members, but urged followers to maintain trust in the platform, unquote. But an investigation by the 30K blockchain security firm suggests a hack may have been an inside job, with much of the $1.5 million that was stolen going to wallets with links to the Narwhal team. Hmm... The dream of making a quick and easy fortune in cryptocurrency took yet another hit with the arrest of Rodney Burton, a.k.a. Bitcoin Rodney, a relentless promoter who sold himself as a high-tech financial guru and was often seen out with celebrity pals like Jamie Foxx, Rick Ross, Marlon Wayans, and Tiffany Haddish. That's why this is being reported by Rolling Stone. Burton, who's 2021 ring and vet yourself with crypto event in Miami, also included appearances by Akon, FUBU founder and Shark Tank regular Damon John, and convicted fraudster Jordan Belfort, whose memoir The Wolf of Wall Street inspired the film. It was taken into custody in Florida and is awaiting transfer to Maryland, where he's being charged. Criminal complaint that was filed rests on an affidavit by a special IRS agent, who found probable cause to believe that one of the crypto operations that Burton was involved in was a, quote, unlicensed money transmitting business, unquote. Burton is accused, in short, of illegal transfer of currency. Oh, he was advising people to invest in Hyperverse, previously Hyperfund. It is one big entity, isn't it? The uh, promotion for Hyperverse said it would uh, get up to 1% daily rewards for its customers, paid for in part by using, quote, large-scale crypto mining operations, unquote, but it had no mining capability. According to the charging document, in that case, the investors were paid with funds collected from more recent investors. Can you say Ponzi? The fund collapsed in mid-2023, costing customers approximately $1.3 billion. 
Yeah, it's been that kind of year. By the way, in recent years, the likes of Lindsay Lohan, Jake Paul, Tom Brady, Jimmy Fallon, Soldier Boy, Lil Yachty, Kim Kardashian, and Floyd Merriweather have all faced lawsuits and SEC charges for their roles in promoting crypto, in some cases allegedly failing to disclose that they were paid to do so. I'm not paid to mention that. Most of those suits have already been settled. Kardashian paid an SEC fine of about $1.3 million a couple years ago. The winter never ends. And now, the Apologies of the Week. Ten wolves set loose in Colorado last month as part of a historic state-led reintroduction of the species are doing well. But the humans charged with orchestrating the multi-year effort addressed concerns this week about a lack of transparency about the releases. State's top wildlife official apologized to Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission for providing little information about the timing and location of the releases last month. He said an after-action review is underway. Quote, my apology comes from me because the area that had the most impact was the ball that I dropped, said Parks and Wildlife Director Jeff Davis. So I apologize to all of you for the notification and the transparency pieces, unquote. Wildlife officials captured five wolves in Oregon and then mid-December released them into state land in Grand County, Colorado. The first ones released in the state as part of a voter-mandated reintroduction fueled primarily from support from urban voters. The initiative has caused turmoil in ranching communities that fear for their livestock. And they're good eating. The BBC News Network apologized over the weekend for a report late last month on BBC Radio in which it accused Israel Defense Forces troops of executing Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. This story from the Times of Israel. In a report overnight on December 24th, I guess to keep Santa occupied, the BBC said it ran a story about Hamas accusing the IDF of carrying out summary executions in the Gaza Strip. A statement from the BBC issued almost two weeks after the initial report, said that although the accusations were attributed and our story contained a response from the Israeli military saying they were unaware of the incident and that Hamas was a terrorist organization that did not value truth, we had not made efficient, sufficient effort to seek corroborating evidence to justify reporting the Hamas claim. We apologize for this mistake." Unquote the BBC. What price statuette, you might ask? Deadline Bristol, Connecticut. ESPN has apologized to the organization that administers the Sports Emmy Awards for submitting fake names in categories where they were not eligible to win. Quote, some members of our team were clearly wrong in submitting certain names that may go back to 1997 in Emmy categories where they were not eligible for recognition or statuettes, the network said. 
the ME scam, this is the AP writing, was first revealed by the Atlantic. I'm sorry, the Athletic. <laughs> Don't get those confused. You'll be doing the wrong puzzle. Which reported that ESPN personalities like Herb, uh, Kirk Herbstreit, Lee Corso, and Desmond Howard on College Game Day were given awards they were not entitled to. I had no idea. Of course, I don't watch College Game Day. That would have been a clue. There was no evidence the report said that any on-air winners knew what happened. The National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, which administers the sports Emmys, discovered the fraud through an investigation which led to ESPN doing its own probe. Quote, this was a misguided attempt to recognize on-air individuals who were important members of our production team, unquote, ESPN. The original report in The Athletic said on-air talent were not allowed to be included with those credited for the Emmy category of Outstanding Weekly Studio Show. Hosts, analysts, and reporters on the show could win individual awards, but were prohibited from what the Academy calls, quote, double-dipping, unquote. So fake names were submitted with the same initials as on-air hosts, and they appeared on credit lists as associate producers. See how that works? And then they had a statuette with the initials. and the, <laughs> the Athletic reviewed credit lists for the year's college game day one for best weekly shows, and several phony names were on there. The Athletic said it was not known who led the fraud, but Craig Lazarus, vice president and executive producer of original content, Lee Fitting, a senior vice president of production, and Drew Gallagher, a coordinating producer on College Game Day, were among the ESPN employees that the Academy ruled ineligible from future participation in the Emmys. Wow. Banned from the sports Emmys. Some red faces in Bristol, Connecticut. A statement from the Academy said it found several fake credits submitted by ESPN, to multiple sports Emmys competitions. Once ESPN senior management was alerted, quote, the network took steps to take responsibility for the actions of its personnel to investigate thoroughly and to course correct, unquote. Those steps included returning statuettes issued to fictitious individuals, the Academy said. So there's some spare sports Emmy statuettes sitting around. ESPN brought an outside counsel. Full investigation followed after it was made aware of the scam. Individuals found to be responsible were disciplined by ESPN, said the network. Dayline Taipei, Taipei's defense ministry has apologized for an emergency presidential alert sent to cell phones on Taiwan. That's Tuesday. That erroneously labeled a Chinese satellite launch as a missile flyover in Taiwan's airspace, in English, causing concerns about how such a mistake could be made. I would suggest lack of uh, lack of capability in English, but no. Uh, China launched a satellite for astronomical observation just after 3 p.m., and the Ministry of National Defense sent out an alert which in the Chinese text correctly identified the event 
as a satellite launch. An hour later, the ministry issued an apology, said the English language text did not reflect the information provided in Chinese. Dayline, Hartsville, South Carolina. Hartsville's police department apologized in a social media post this week for an officer's action. An altercation between the officer and a resident was recorded and posted on YouTube. The officer was responding to a call from an automotive repair shop. In his post, the chief, Byron Snellgrove, said the officer was recorded speaking in an unprofessional manner. Snellgrove added, As the chief of the department, I must apologize for this and take action to ensure that things like this do not happen in the future. Unquote. Chief Snellgrove. The Department of Defense's press secretary apologized Monday for not being more transparent. This is the U.S. Department of Defense's press secretary. Not being more transparent about information regarding Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's recent hospitalization. The White House learned about it three days after he went in for complications resulting from what was characterized as a minor elective procedure. And finally, Deadline Mexico City, Mexico President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador apologized this week for misgendering a transgender representative of his political party. His comments had sparked criticism from rights groups. Lopez Obrador over the weekend met with Salma Luevano, one of the first trans people to become a federal lawmaker in Mexico, a day later referred to as, quote, a man dressed as a woman, when questioned why he greeted Luevano at a public event with a kiss on the cheek. Quote, I want to offer an apology to a colleague who identifies... As a woman, the president said in a press conference following a backlash to his earlier comment on social media, various members of the LGBT plus, no Q, but a plus, community in the country expressed solidarity with Loivano, who belongs to Lopez Obrador's Morena party, and demanded a public apology from the president. Today, the lawmaker later wrote on X, President Obrador offered an apology for misgendering me. This statement is very important, she continues, because it makes visible a fight that has taken us decades. I am a woman, Luevano added, and that is not up for discussion. Unfreaking quote. And, finally, finally, UK rapper and producer Skepta took down an image for his upcoming single Gas Me Up Diligent after allegations that the artwork was in reference to the Holocaust. This is from Rolling Stone. On Monday, Skepta posted the artwork made by artist Gabriel Moses to his Instagram. The image featured a group of men with shaved heads and the words Gas Me Up tattooed across one of their heads. Some fans alleged the artwork alluded to Jewish people during World War II in Nazi camps. Some drew comparisons to the titles, the track's titles, and the gas chambers used to kill prisoners during the war. The image was removed from Skepta's social media later that day. 
and the grime artist took to X to apologize. Quote, I've been waiting to drop gas my gas me up diligent since teasing it in April last year. Worked hard getting the artwork right for my album, Rollout, which is about my parents coming to the UK in the 80s. Skinhead, football culture, and it has been taken offensive by many. I can promise you that was definitely not our plan. So I've removed it, and I vow to be more mindful going forward. Unquote. Skepta. The Apologies of the Week. Copyrighted features broadcast. And now, there's some... Uh, Fresh ends. On Tuesday, X, the company owned by Elon Musk, see, why doesn't he just put an X in his last name if he loves the letter so much? Elon Musk. It's just a... He um, wrote about a grand vision for his company this year, which includes launching peer-to-peer payments and more AI-powered tools. And... Amid this, the company silently removed a feature for paid subscribers to X. They're no longer able to set an NFT as a profile picture. Is this the death of NFTs? The feature was originally launched under uh, Twitter's previous management a couple years ago. At that time, Twitter Blue subscribers were allowed to set NFTs minted on Ethereum as profile pictures, which eventually showed up as hexagons. Users could click or tap on the profile picture to know more about NFTs. Tap my profile picture to know more about a commercial product, why don't you? Including details like a collection of the NFT, the contract address, token ID, and the app with which it was minted. X has now removed all descriptions about the NFT profile picture feature from its X premium support page. People who had an FT set as a profile picture still have hexagonal avatars. It's not clear if X will eventually remove those as well. The removal of the feature is not very surprising, says TechCrunch, given that other social networks have also wound down their NFT experiments. In 2022, Instagram and Facebook both started experimenting with showing and posting NFTs. Meta shut down its support for NFTs in March last year. The value of some of the high-priced tokens, such as the Bored Ape Yacht Club, has plummeted it from its peak. The NFT market has shown a sign of recovery in the last few months. According to NFT aggregator, Crypto Slam if you believe them. And in nuclear news, several First Nations and environmental advocates have criticized the decision by Canada's nuclear regular, nuclear regulator to greenlight a proposed nuclear waste site near the Ottawa River. Following an environmental assessment, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission has authorized construction of a waste facility on the site of the government-owned Chalk River Laboratories, which tests nuclear technology in Deep River, Ontario. The site sits within a kilometer of the Ottawa River, a traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin 
Anishinaabeg, Anishinaabeg peoples, sorry. First Nation Councilor Justin Roy, whose community is located on the other side of the river, said his First Nation and others are reviewing the regulator's decision and will consider all options, including asking for judicial review. Quote, we're not going to leave any stone unturned regarding this project, unquote, he said. The regulator said in its approval announced this week the project, quote, is not likely to cause significant adverse environmental effects, unquote. Well, that's good enough for me. Not likely. Come on. And more than 70 years after workers first realized that barrels of radioactive waste risked contaminating Coldwater Creek in Missouri, the federal government has started work to put up signs warning residents. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers said in a statement this week it was working with the Environmental Protection Agency to add signs along the creek to help it monitor areas, quote, that may pose a risk if disturbed, unquote. Well, who wouldn't if disturbed? Let them try. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Couldn't conclude any other edition. They're all done. I mean, until next week, when there's another one to be done. Is that clear? And you'll hear that next one on this radio station or in this audio device of choice that you may well have chosen at the time you've done your choosing. 
be delighting to me if you join me. The email address for this program, the chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the music playlist of the program, as well as many, many, many other things to see, read, and hear. All for your edification and entertainment, your delight, and your fright. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm, um, I'm still deciding about Twitter. I may never make up my mind. The evidence is so plain. A tip of the show shout po to the San Diego desk to Pam Halstead to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for their help with this week's program. The show comes in from Century of Progress Productions. Originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.